Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. I talk anything and everything that has to do with AI, ML, and data science. If you're getting started uh, with a new machine learning or deep learning project, you may be confused about which framework to choose. So let's go over several good options for all kinds of projects. There's a big difference between a machine learning framework and a deep learning framework. Essentially, a machine learning framework covers a variety of learning methods for classification, regression, clustering, um, anomaly detection, and data preparation, and may or may not include neural network methods. Um, A deep learning or deep neural network framework covers a variety of neural network topologies with many hidden layers. So we're talking about like Keras, MXNet, PyTorch, and TensorFlow. All those are considered deep learning frameworks, while Scikit-Learn and Spark MLlib are machine learning frameworks. In general, deep neural network computations run much faster on a GPU, specifically an NVIDIA CUDA general purpose GPU. You can also run it on TPUs or FPGAs, and all those are much faster than running it on a CPU. So in general, simpler machine learning methods don't benefit from using GPU computing. So while you can train deep neural networks with one or more CPUs, the training method tends to be very slow. And by slow, I'm talking about, you know, I'm not talking about like seconds or minutes. So the more neurons and layers that need to be trained and the more data available for training, the longer it takes. So when Google Uh, Google's brain team trained its language translational models for the new version of Google Translate in 2016. They ran their training sessions for a week at a time on multiple GPUs. So without the GPUs, um, each model training experiments would um, actually take a couple months, which is a pretty big uh, time difference. So since then, uh, ML, MKL, which is the math kernel library, has made it possible to train some neural networks on CPUs in a more reasonable amount of time. Uh, meanwhile, GPU, TPUs, and FPGAs have gotten much, much faster. So the training speeds of all of the deep learning packages running on the same GPU is nearly identical. And that's because the training interloops Um, spend most of their time in the uh, NVIDIA's CUDNN package. So apart from training speed, each of the deep learning libraries have their own sets of pros and cons. And that's the same to be said with scikit-learn and Spark MLlib. So let's go do a deeper dive into each one of these. The first library we're going to talk about is Keras, which is a high-level front-end specification and implementation for building neural network models that ship with support for three back-end deep learning frameworks. Those frameworks are TensorFlow, CNTK, which is the Cognitive Toolkit, and Thano. So Amazon is currently working on developing a MXNet backend for Keras. It's also possible to run PlatML, which is an independent project, um, as a backend for Keras to take advantage of the PlatML's OpenCL support for all GPUs. Now, TensorFlow is the de- uh, default backend for Keras, and one recommended um, for many use cases involving s- GPU accelerations on NVIDIA hardware 
through um, NVIDIA CUDA and CUDNN, as well as for TPU accelerations in Google Cloud. So TensorFlow also contains an internal TF.Keras class um, separate from its external Keras um, installation. So Keras is a high-level environment that makes adding a layer to a neural network as easy as one line of code in its uh, sequential model. And it requires only one function call um, each for compiling and training a model. So Keras lets you work at a lower level if you want with its model or functional API. Now Keras allows you to drop down even further to the Python coding language by subclassing Keras.model, but uh, you know prefers the functional API when possible. So Keras also has a scikit-learn API so that you can use the scikit-learn grid search to perform hyperparameter optimizations in Keras models. The next model we're gonna, or the next package we're going to go into is MXNet. So MXNet has evolved and improved quite a bit since moving under the Apache Software Foundation umbrella early in 2017. While there's been work on Keras with a uh, an MXNet backend, a different high-level interface has become much more important, which is Gluon. So prior to the incorporation of Gluon, you could either write easy imperative code or fast symbolic code in MXNet, but not both at once. So with Gluon, you can combine the best of both worlds in a way that competes with both Keras and PyTorch. So some advantages um, claimed on Gluon, claimed for Gluon include um, simple, easy to use code. So Gluon offers a full set of plug and play neural network uh, building blocks, including predefined layers, optimizers, and initializers. Uh, number two is that it's very flexible and imperative structure. So um, Gluon doesn't require the neural network model to be rigidly defined, but rather brings the training algorithm and model closer together to provide flexibility in the development process. Uh, number three is that it's got dynamic graphs. So Gluon enables developers to define neural network models that are dynamic, meaning they can be built on the fly with any structure and using any of Python's native control flows. And then lastly, it has high performance. So Gluon provides all of the above features without impacting the training speed that um, the underlying engines provide. So these four advantages, along with the vastly expanding uh, collection of model examples, brings the Gluon and MXNet to rough uh, uh, comparison with Keras and TensorFlow and also PyTorch for ease of development and training speeds. So um, you know, the, the, the Gluon API includes functionalities for like neural network layers, uh, recurrent neural networks, loss functions, dataset methods, and vision data. Uh, and also like a model zoo and, and a set of uh, contributed experimental neural network methods. So you can freely combine Gluon with uh, standard MXNet and NumPy modules, for example. You could use like the, um, the commands like module or autograd or ndarray, as well as like some Python control flows. So Gluon has a good selection of layers for building models, including basic layers like dense uh, dropouts, etc. It can also do convolutional layers, pooling layers, activation layers. Each of these is a one-line call, so that's awesome. So these can be used along with other uh, places inside the um, network container, such as like gluon.nn.sequential or something like that.
So the next um, package we want to look at is PyTorch. So PyTorch builds on the old Torch and new Cafe 2 framework. As you might guess from the name, PyTorch uses Python as its scripting language, and it uses an evolved Torch uh, CUDA backend. Now, the production features of Cafe 2 are being incorporated right now into the PyTorch um, projects. PyTorch is built as tensors and dynamic neural networks in Python with strong GPU acceleration. So what does that all mean? Um, tensors are a mathematical construct that is used heavily in physics and engineering. So a tensor of rank two is a special type of matrix, uh, ma taking the inner product of a vector with a tensor yield, um, another vector with a, like a new magnitude and a new direction. So TensorFlow takes its name from the way tensors flow around its uh, network model. So NumPy also uses tensors, but calls it um, as ND arrays. Now GPU acceleration is given for most modern deep neural network frameworks. A dynamic neural network is one that changes um, from iteration to iteration. So for example, allowing a PyTorch model to add and remove hidden layers during training to improve its accuracy and uh, generality. So um, PyTorch recreates uh, the graph on the fly at each iterative step. In contrast, TensorFlow by default creates a single data flow graph and then it optimizes the graph code for performance and then trains the model. While, you know, eager execution mode is a fairly new option in TensorFlow, it's the only way PyTorch runs, which is uh, an API calls uh, execute when um, invoked rather than being added to a graph to be run later. That might seem like it would be less computationally efficient, but uh, PyTorch was designed to work that way. And it's no slouch when it comes to training or prediction speeds. So PyTorch integrates acceleration libraries such as uh, Intel's MKL and NVIDIA's CUDNN and, and uh, also the NCCL, which is the, um, the NVIDIA Collective Communications Library to maximize speed. Its core CPU and GPU tensors and neural network backends, which is the TH's Torch, or THC, which is Torch CUDA, um, or THNN, which is the Torch neural network, and also uh, the longer THCUNN, which is the Torch CUDA neural network, are all written as independent libraries with a C99 API. Now, at the same time, PyTorch is not a Python binding into a monolithic C++ framework. The intention is for it to deeply integrate with Python and to allow the use of other Python libraries. The next library we're going to take a look at is Scikit-Learn. So Scikit-Learn is a Python framework that has a wide selection of robust machine learning algorithms, but no deep learning. So if you're a Python fan, Scikit-Learn may well be the best option for you along the, the plain machine learning libraries. Scikit-Learn is a robust and well-proven machine learning library for Python with a, with a wide um, assortment of well-established algorithms and integrated graphics. So it's relatively easy to, to install, learn, and use, and it has some really good examples and tutorials. Now on the on the downside, um, Scikit-Learn doesn't cover deep learning or reinforced learning. It lacks graphical models uh, and sequence predictions, and it can't really be used from languages other than Python. 
And it doesn't really support PyPy, the, the Python just-in-time in compiler, or GPUs. Now, that being said, you know, except for its minor you know, cons into neural network, it doesn't really have any speed problems. So it uses uh, Cython. Um, that's the Python to C compiler for functions that need to, to be run fast, such as uh, interloops. Scikit-learn has a good selection of algorithms for classification, regression, clustering, dimensionality reductions, uh, model selections, and pre-processing. So it has good documentation and examples for all these, but lacks any kind of guided uh, workflow for um, accomplishing these tasks, which is unfortunate. Scikit-learn earns top marks for ease of deployment, mostly because um, the algorithms all work as documented and the API is consistent and well-designed and there's few impedance mismatches between the data structures. It's also a pleasure to work with a library whose features have been thoroughly fleshed out and whose bugs have been thoroughly fleshed out as well. So on the other hand, the library doesn't cover deep learning or reinforced learning, which leaves out the current hard but important problems, such as like accurate image classification and reliable real-time language parsing and translation. Clearly, if you're interested in deep learning, you should look somewhere else. But nevertheless, um, there are many problems ranging from building like a prediction function linking different observations to classifying observations to uh, learning the structures of an unlabeled dataset that lead themselves to plain old machine learning without needing dozens of layers of neural uh, neurons. And for these areas, um, scikit-learn is the go-to default um, uh, package. So the next um, package we want to look at is sparklib which is an open source machine learning library for Apache Spark, uh, which provides common machine learning algorithms such as classification, regression, clustering, and collaborative filtering, but no deep neural networks. So it also includes tools for feature extraction, transformation, dimensionality reductions, and selections. Um, you know, tools for like uh, constructing, evaluation, and tuning machine learning pipelines, as well as like utilities for saving and loading algorithms, models, and pipelines, and also for you know data handling and for doing linear algebra and statistics. So Spark ML uh, lib is written in Scala and uses the linear um, algebra package Breeze. So Breeze depends on the netlib Java for optimized numerical processing. Although in the open source distribution, that means um, you know optimized use for uh, for CPUs. So Databricks um, offers customized um, Spark clusters that use GPUs, which can potentially give you more than you know ten times speed improvements for training complex machine learning models with uh, big data. Now Spark ML lib um, implements a truckload of common algorithms and models for classification and regression to the point where a novice would become confused, but an expert would um, likely find a good choice of you know a model for the data to be analyzed. So it's got a ton of models um, in the new Spark 2.x, which adds the important feature of hyperparameter tuning, also known as model selection. So hyperparameter tuning allows the, uh, the analyst to set up a parameter grid, um, an estimator, and an evaluator, and let the cross-validation method, um, which is time-consuming but, but accurate, or the train uh, validation split method, which is faster but less accurate, to find the best model for the data. 
Now, Spark MLlib has full is just full of APIs for Scala and Java, uh, most mostly full uh, you know APIs for Python and uh, sketchy partial APIs for R. So you can get a pretty good feel for the coverage by counting the the samples, right? So there's 54 Java and 60 Scala machine learning examples. There's 52 uh, Python machine learning examples and only five R examples. So, you know, in my experience, Spark ML Lib is easiest to work with using JupyterHub, but you can, you know, certainly run it in a console if you contain that verbose Spark status message. Spark ML Lib supplies pretty much anything you'd want in the way of basic machine learning, uh, feature selections, pipelines, and persistence. And it does a pretty good job with classification, regression, clustering, and filtering. Now, given that it's part of Spark, as a great access to databases, streams, and other data sources. On the other hand, Spark ML Lib is not really set up to model and, and train deep neural networks in the same way as TensorFlow, PyTorch, MXNet, and Keras. The next library we're going to take a look at is TensorFlow, which is probably the gold standard for deep neural network development, although it's not without its own defects. So two of the biggest issues with TensorFlow historically were that it was too hard to learn and it also took too much uh, code to create a model. Now both issues have been addressed over the last few years. So to make TensorFlow easier to learn, the TensorFlow team has um, started producing more learning materials as well as clarifying the existing getting started uh, tutorial. So there's a number of third parties um, that have produced their own tutorial materials and now there's like multiple TensorFlow books in print and several online TensorFlow courses. So you can even follow the uh, CS20 course at Stanford, um, which is called TensorFlow for Deep Learning Research, which posts all of the slides and lecture notes online. So there are several new sections of the TensorFlow library that offers interfaces that require less programming to create and train models. These include tf.keras, which provides a TensorFlow-only version of the otherwise engine-neutral uh, Keras package. And then there's a tf.estimator, which provides a number of high-level uh, facilities for working with models. So these include both regressors, classifiers for linear um, and deep learning networks, and also combines linear and deep learning networks plus uh, base class, uh, which you can add your own estimators. So in addition, the dataset API enables you to build complex input um, pipelines from simple reusable pieces. So you don't have to choose just one. So um, TensorFlow Lite is TensorFlow's lightweight solution for mobile and embedded um, devices, which enables on-device uh, machine learning inferences, but not training, with uh, low latencies and a small binary size. Now, TensorFlow Lite also supports um, hardware acceleration with the Android Neural Network API. TensorFlow Lite um, uh, models are, are small enough to run on mobile devices and can serve the offline use case. So... The basic idea of TensorFlow Lite is that you can train a full-blown TensorFlow model, then convert it over to a TensorFlow Lite model format. Then you can use it to convert file um, in your uh, mobile applications on like Android or uh, iOS. So alternatively, you can use one of the pre-trained TensorFlow Lite models for image classifications or smart, smart replies. Now, smart replies are contextually relevant messages that are you know, offered as response options. And this essentially provides the same uh, reply predictions uh, functionalities as, as found in Google's Gmail clients. You know, yet another 
uh, option is to retrain an existing TensorFlow model against a, a new tagged uh, data set, an important technique also known as transfer learning, which reduces um, training time significantly. So the next um, topic that I kind of want to talk about is that should you be choosing machine learning or deep learning? So sometimes you know that you'll need a deep learning network to solve a particular problem efficiently. For example, like classifying images, recognizing speech, or translating languages. Other times you don't know whether that's necessary. For example, you know if you want to predict next month's sales figures or to detect outliers in your data. If you do need a deep neural network, then Keras, uh, MXNet with Gluon, PyTorch, and TensorFlow with Keras or estimators are a good choice. If you aren't sure, then start with scikit-learn and Spark MLlib, and then try all of the relevant algorithms. If you get satisfactory results from you know from the best model or an ensemble of several models, you can then stop. So if you need better results, then try to perform transfer learning on a trained uh, deep neural network. If you still don't get what you need, then try building and training a, a deep neural network from scratch. Um, to refine your model, try hyperparameter tuning. So no matter what method you use to train a model, remember that the model is only as good as the data you use for training. Remember to clean it and standardize it and then balance the size of your training classes. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can contact me at tonyphoang.com for more information on AI, ML, and data science.